Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by my friends over at ChopC60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60 or otherwise called C60 before, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. I'm a huge fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you are over the age of 40 and you'd like to kick fatigue and brain fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. The products I use, I use their C60 in organic MCT coconut oil. They have it in various different flavors. They also have sugar-free gummies that are made with allulose and monk fruit. They also have carbon 60 and organic avocado and extra virgin olive oil. When it's combined with these fats, it absorbs more effectively. And carbon 60 is great as a natural energizing tool because it really helps your mitochondria optimize your energy production. Now, if you take it late at night, for some individuals, it may seem a little bit stimulating. So that's why we recommend taking it earlier in the day, and it will give you that great energy, that great great mental clarity that you want all day long. It will help reduce the effects of oxidative stress and aging and really help you thrive. So again, guys, go to shopc60.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS to save 15% off your first order and start taking back control of your health today. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another great listener Q&A. We've got some great topics today. We're going to be talking about cholesterol and blood sugar stability. We're going to talk about histamine intolerance and if apple cider vinegar is triggering histamine issues in your body. We're going to talk about gallbladder polyps and skin rashes. We got some great topics and you guys have been leaving these questions on my YouTube channel as well as uh, emailing us in at info at drjockers.com and also on Instagram and Facebook. So if you've got a great health question that you think will provide really good content for this podcast, please just email us at info at drjockers.com and let us know that you're listening to the podcast and you want us to address your particular question on this podcast. Joining me, I have got Dr. Yvonne. She is a well-trained naturopath that works with our clients all over the world and does long-distance virtual health coaching with people all over the world with a wide variety of different health issues. And if you're looking for a great health coach, definitely reach out to Dr. Yvonne. Dr. Yvonne, I know you've been working with people for years. What are some of the key themes that you're seeing that people are struggling with and how do they how do they reach out to you to find out more information about your coaching programs? Well, I see a variety of clients with different conditions, chronic conditions, complex condition, you name it. And of course, there's always 
GI issues, uh, that seems to be the, the one that kind of unites everything, although there's some particular. So it is really um, about them wanting to optimize their health. And for me, finding the root causes. And like you said, before planning a strategy of how to get their health back. So, and how can they reach me? They can go to drjockers.com and look for the tab that, that says health coaching and go down and they can read my biography. They can also reach me at Dr. Yvonne at drjockers.com. That is D-R-I-V-O-N-N-E at drjockers.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dr. Yvonne. Yeah, she is the best. I always hear great testimonials from people that are in our community that are working with her. So definitely reach out to Dr. Yvonne if you're looking for a great health coach. And Dr. Vaughn, let's uh, let's jump into some of these great health questions. Well, the first question comes from YouTube. And the question is, is there an alternative to apple cider vinegar for those with histamine intolerance? Yeah, this is a common question that I get. Apple cider vinegar has tremendous health benefits. It's loaded with enzymes, loaded with postbiotic nutrients that are basically produced by fermentation of bacteria who are eating the sugars that are in apple juice and creating this vinegar. And you know, a lot of people are seeing amazing results because these postbiotics reduce inflammation in our GI system. Um, I remember years ago, the first time, you know, I had heard somebody like they, they started, this is probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, somebody was telling me that they took apple cider vinegar, tablespoon in water every single day and their blood pressure lowered and they were able to get off uh, blood pressure medications. And so the mechanism for that is these postbiotics, reducing inflammation in the gut, the gut is one of the primary areas where people have inflammation and, you know, apple cider vinegar also helps to balance blood sugar. So it helps to lower the glycemic impact of the food that we're consuming. So, and it helps improve insulin sensitivity. And so that can bring down inflammation as well um, and create more blood sugar stability, which is really key for energy production within the cells. And then it also stimulates the digestive juices. It actually activates the vagus nerve, which is the nerve that runs from our brainstem down into our digestive organs and all of our viscera. And it helps to produce stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes. So we digest our food more effectively. So great benefits to apple cider vinegar. However, there are some individuals that react poorly to it. Just like anything, uh, anything, you know, we, we always say one man's superfood could be another man's poison. And that's because even if something is full of nutrients, like for example, eggs, one of the most nutrient dense foods you put in your body, some people, they create inflammation. They have immune reactivity to eggs. They have immune reactivity to apple cider vinegar in some very rare circumstances. Now, people with histamine intolerance, there are higher amounts of histamines in certain types of foods, particularly fermented foods have higher amounts of histamines. When it comes to apple cider vinegar, it's kind of low to moderate histamine, but for some individuals that can still trigger an issue. In fact, the Swiss, the Swiss interest group for histamine intolerance, also known as SIGI, they have a, uh, a scale that ranks the histamine impact of the foods that you consume, and it's a zero to three scale. And so zero would be no impact, three would be very, very high impact. And there are certain types of vinegars, for example, uh, red wine vinegar, white balsamic vinegar, your typical vinegars are going to be ranking about two or three, right? So those two are, are three, they're, they're kind of at the highest. Typical balsamic is two, sometimes a three you know, because there's a much, bunch of different varieties of those. Now, apple cider vinegar ranks at a one. So it's it's low, but but obviously not free of the histamines. 
but there is a type of vinegar, white distilled, just your very cheap white distilled vinegar, that's a zero. It doesn't impact histamine. So, you know, if you're looking for an alternative, try that out. I found that a lot of people with histamine intolerance do fine with apple cider vinegar, and that's because it's the overall histamine load that they're consuming, meaning that when they're consuming a lot, like a high abundance of his, higher histamine foods and higher FODMAP foods also, because the more FODMAPs, the more they're feeding gut bacteria, and they're oftentimes they're, they already have a dysbiosis in their gut where they're, they have an overproduction of histamine-producing gut bacteria. So when they're providing a lot of prebiotic for those, they end up with more histamine symptoms. So if their stress is high, they're eating a higher FODMAP diet, higher histamine foods, then even foods that are low to moderate histamine can trigger them. Whereas if they're on a lower histamine diet to begin with, oftentimes they're able to handle some apple cider vinegar. So you, you know everything can be personalized. I've had some people that histamine issues do fine with avocados. Others do terrible with avocados, which are tend to be a higher histamine food. So there, there's a lot of nuance with that, that discussion and that question. But if you're looking for a completely free histamine, you know, something that without the histamines that gives a lot of the benefits that apple cider vinegar does, you would want the white distilled vinegar. Right. Good point. I think a lot of people learn and read about superfoods and they just assume that it's good for everyone. And it's so important for everybody to know that there are some, there's a lot of individual reactions given to their, you know, whatever condition they may be having or genetics or whatever their even stress levels at that point, something that is good for you when you're stressed is going to have a different reaction. So, and it's so good to know that even if something doesn't work for you, there's another, uh, there's an alternative. So the, and like you said, dosage is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great question. I'm glad uh, we were able to address it here on the podcast. Yeah, our next question is a loaded question, I may say. It says, my total cholesterol is 265. What should I do to bring this down? Oh, man, that is a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, your, your typical cardiologist, your typical general practitioner, if they were to run a lipid panel and just look at your LDL, your HDL and your triglycerides, and they see that your total cholesterol equals up, you're meaning your LDL and your VLDL and your HDL, all that totals up to 265. They're going to say that's really high. They want to bring that down under 200. But what they're not asking is what's the ratio? What are the proper ratios? Uh, you know, and why is the cholesterol at 265? And and ultimately. When we think about cholesterol, cholesterol are these important healing molecules. They, you know, LDL, for example, which is considered the bad cholesterol, is like a bus that's bringing fat-soluble nutrients, vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin K2, you know, all the fat-soluble vitamins, as well as phospholipids, coenzyme Q10, a lot of these really key nutrients that we need for cellular energy production and overall cellular health, it's bringing them to the cell. It's the carrier. And so we need a certain amount of that. And LDL has incredible, you know, like for example, cholesterol is key for all of our sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. So we need cholesterol. We definitely need LDL. It's playing a really, really important role in, in the body. Now, LDL is more prone to becoming oxidized than HDL. HDL is what's kind of, in a sense, bringing back whatever's left over after the bus drops off its cargo. 
It's it's you know the return vehicle bringing uh, the the carrier back to the liver to load back up, and so it's higher in protein, lower in triglycerides and other other you know different types of uh, uh, compounds, and so that's why they call it HDL. So when I'm looking at these ratios, ultimately, you know, to me, cholesterol is an important healing molecule. It's important. The more stress our body's under, the more inflammation we're under, the more cargo, the more essential cargo we need to bring out to the cells. And that's why LDL may go up. So when I look at the ratios, I want to see basically LDL to HDL ratio three to one or lower typically, although as long as I see the, the triglyceride to HDL ratio under two and close to one, then, you know, I usually don't worry too much about the LDL to HDL ratio. What that means is two parts triglyceride to one part HDL or better. Ideally, I like to see that more around one to one, the triglyceride to HDL ratio. That's telling me that our body is, our cells are uptaking fat. Triglycerides are are, are, are fat and that's what we burn. It's one of our great energy sources, phenomenal energy source. When triglycerides are high, it's a sign that our cells are not uptaking fat. They're not utilizing fat for fuel effectively, oftentimes because we have insulin resistance. That's usually, they usually, those two things go hand in hand. When we have hydro, high triglycerides, we have insulin resistance. And so I'm looking at that triglyceride to HDL ratio. Oftentimes, low HDL is a sign of insulin resistance as well. And so that's the most important ratio. The LDL to HDL, you know, I usually like to see that three to one or less. If it's up above that, I ask, why is the body creating more LDL? Why is that? What's going on here? And oftentimes it's because the person has a higher inflammatory load. Maybe they have an infection that's in their system. Maybe they have, for example, gingivitis or some sort of oral infection that's leaking into the bloodstream, causing more inflammation in the system. Perhaps they've been exposed to a lot of toxicity you know, in their system and they're not detoxing well. Maybe they have really sluggish bile flow. In fact, bile is one of the great ways that our body, uh, bile is made up of, cholesterol is a key compound that's in bile. And that's a way that our body gets rid of excess cholesterol in our system as it puts it in the bile. The bile takes out toxins through the liver, through the bile ducts and into the gut. And that's what actually what creates our, the brown color to our feces. So if we're not moving our bile effectively, we're not detoxing effectively, we may end up with higher amounts of recycled cholesterol and higher amounts of LDL particles. So I always ask the, the deeper question. There's also a link to sunshine deficiency. When we don't get enough sunshine, we don't convert cholesterol into a precursor for vitamin D, right? And go down the vitamin D pathway. And so there are many different links here. And I always ask the question, what's upstream? That's really the question that we have to ask. So just getting a blanket, hey, I, my cholesterol is 265. What do I do to bring it down? We really need to unwrap that. Just like you were talking about, Dr. Ivan, we need to understand a lot more depth and complexity to what's going on and look at those ratios. Absolutely. That is so important. And these biomarkers are, are telling some of the story. And our job is to find out what is the rest of the story? What is causing this? So uh, I love your how thorough your question, your answer was. Thank you. Okay, let's go on to the next question. When you stop exercising and lifting weights, does your muscle turn into fat? Does collagen protein help with muscle building or is it only for joint health? Yeah, this is a good question. So, and I've heard this, you know, throughout throughout the years. In fact, you know, when I was a kid, I, I used to think this, or I, I used to hear people talk about it. 
that if you stop working out, so you build up muscle because you're lifting weights, you stop, you stop lifting weights and now your muscle will actually turn into fat. And that's actually not true. So what happens is in order to build muscle, we need resistance. And so we need tension, time under tension is, is the key principle. And if we're not doing that, we are going to atrophy. Our muscles are going to atrophy to a certain point. Obviously, we're all, all of us are doing kind of daily activities and things like that. We're not just sitting on a couch all day long or our muscles could almost completely atrophy. In fact, you know, when astronauts go into outer space and they don't have gravity, they don't have the same tension. So if they're out there for a long time, when they come back, they have to learn how to walk again. They, they get so much muscle atrophy. Nowadays, they've got a little bit more technology to where they, they're able to reduce that. But we need time under tension in order to activate, stress our muscles so that they will grow and become more resilient to stress. If we stop exercising, our muscles will start to atrophy and shrink. That means obviously they reduce their size or their, their load capacity, their energy production. When that happens, our overall metabolism goes down because muscle is very active tissue. It, it also is a great storage carrier for glucose, glycogen. In fact, if you go on a fast or a low-carb diet, uh, like a ketogenic diet, and you lose weight in the beginning, a lot of that is sugar that's coming out of the muscles, becoming active glycogen that we're using for energy, and then that brings water, right? So glucose, when we have glucose going into our muscles and into our liver and being stored as glycogen, it also brings water with it, which gives it more size, more hypertrophy to the muscle. So when we start losing that, um, because our glycogen stores go down as we are not when we're not exercising, we don't need as much extra reserve fuel in there. We lose overall muscle size and volume. And then our metabolism also goes down and our storage capacity for excess glucose in our bloodstream. So if we eat a, a donut or something like that, our, our blood glucose goes way up. And then we store that glucose into, you know, obviously we use, we use some of it for energy and then we store it for a, for a future energy usage in our liver and our muscles. And then once they're all full of glycogen, then we turn the glucose into fat and store it as fat. So as we lose the storage capacity, we have higher and higher amounts of blood sugar, and we're going to start to store that as fat. And so it's not that the muscle turns into fat. It's just that the as we lose muscle, our metabolism shifts and changes. We get less able to buffer glucose. We get higher and higher amounts of insulin. Insulin tells the body to store fat. It's a fat storage hormone. So as insulin goes up and we lose insulin sensitivity, we start storing more fat and our body fat goes up. And this is really what happens and what why most people are gaining weight as they get older. A lot of people think, well, you just gain weight as you get older. Well, that's not necessarily true. Okay. I'm older than I was when I was 20, but I, I'm I'm just as strong, just as fit, same body fat percentage, because I take good care of myself. But most people, as they're getting older, are not taking good care of themselves. They're not stressing their muscle tissue, working on actively building muscle, and they start to obviously lose muscle and then also gain fat. So that's really the 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 answer to that question. And Dr. Mom, what was the follow up question there? Follow-up question was, does collagen protein help with muscle building or is it only for joint health? Yeah, this is a great question. Collagen protein, bone broth protein, been very, very popular in our society and for good reason because collagen is the number one structural protein in our body. It makes up our skin, our hair, our fascia, ligaments, tendons, 
uh, gut lining is, is, is collagen. And so it's the number one protein in our body. And our ancestors would have gotten collagen by eating animals from nose to tail, meaning that they're going to eat, for example, like a chicken wing, they're going to eat the synovial joint at the top. They're going to eat the ligaments. They're going to eat the tendons. They're going to eat as much of the, you know, they're, they're not as desirable as the, the muscle meat. The muscle meat, you know, is what makes up like the steak. You know, if you get like a bone in steak, most people are eating around the bone, but they're not eating kind of the, the tendinous part that's actually attached to the bone. Our ancestors would have tried to eat as much of this stuff as possible, and they would have boiled up the bones and made a broth or a soup out of it. But in our society, because food's so prevalent and easy, we want the easy sources. So we want really well-cooked you know, uh, muscle meat, basically. And, and there's a difference between collagen protein and muscle meat protein when it comes to amino acid breakdowns. And so when we look at collagen protein, it's very high in things like glycine, proline, hydroxyproline. These kind of amino acids are really, really good for joint health, very good for you know, helping support our ligaments, our tendons, our liver detoxification systems, our gut lining. So super important for that. But collagen protein is very low in branch chain amino acids. That's leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And these branched chain amino acids are what signal anabolic activity or growth activity in our body, particularly muscle growth activity. And so the muscle meats or things like whey protein, for example, are much higher in these branched chain amino acids, and they are going to have the impact on muscle growth. So collagen protein or collagen peptides or bone broth protein or drinking bone broth can be very good for your body, very good for your immune system, your skin, your hair, your, your, your connective tissue, maybe reducing injuries or helping speed up injury recovery, but not good for actually building muscle tissue. So you don't, wouldn't want to use that in a sense as like a muscle building protein. When we look at those key branch chain amino acids, we find that, for example, in whey protein, we have over 10 times more leucine and and isoleucine, which leucine is the primary branch chain amino acid that's associated with muscle growth. It's the number one trigger for uh, muscle growth in our system. And so whey protein has more than 10 times that in a, in a similar serving as your collagen peptides or your bone broth protein, and more than four times the amount of valine. So that's the other key branch chain amino acid. Also, with collagen protein, it doesn't have tryptophan or cysteine, which are key amino acids that are necessary for muscle growth, as well as like tryptophan helps with serotonin production. Cysteine is critical for glutathione production. So we need a combination of both, basically. We need muscle building, uh, complete proteins, or the, the, the you know, I, I recommend muscle, muscle meats, right, uh, for those, as well as things like whey protein, if you're able to handle dairy can be really great for muscle building. There's also complete proteins that are plant-based, whether it's pea protein, hemp protein. You know, a lot of times you can find protein powders that are done with uh, with some of these other types of proteins, or you can combine legumes with rice. If you're, you know, a vegetarian or a vegan, that can create a, a complete protein, but no better muscle building protein source than muscle meat itself, like a steak, um, or something like whey protein or dairy protein in general, as long as you tolerate dairy uh, well. So that's really what you want to look for there.
Great questions and great answers. It's so important for us to understand the different proteins and how they can be beneficial for one thing or the other and kind of have a variety of them to support our whole body. So very, very excellent question. Good, a lot of good information. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you guys about Paleo Valley Bone Broth Protein Powder. Unlike most companies, which are actually creating their bone broth protein, from the hides or the skin of the animal, which are unfortunately less nutrient dense, Paleo Valley actually uses the bones and they do a slow simmering process to extract as much of the key collagen protein as possible. Collagen protein is rich in some key amino acids, things like glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which are needed for healthy skin, healthy joints, a healthy gut lining, healthy muscles, just a healthy body in general. Collagen helps to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. It also helps to reduce cellulite, and it's critical for anti-aging as it may regenerate bones and it helps build muscle and support heart health. So I'm a huge fan of using collagen or bone broth protein, but I want to make sure that mine is as pure as possible. And that's why I love Paleo Valley because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains. And they even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. It also has over three grams of glycine per serving, 15 grams of total collagen protein. Now that three gram dose of glycine is key because research has shown that that helps improve sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels. And serotonin is a key precursor to melatonin. That's the sleep hormone. And it does this without causing daytime drowsiness. So if you have your collagen protein during the day, you're not gonna get drowsy, but it will help you sleep better at night. So guys, check out paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off to get your bone broth protein. You can also go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein or any of the great Paleo Valley products and use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off today. Are restless nights stealing your sleep? Well, if so, I have a podcast recommendation for you. It's called Sleep Magic. On the Sleep Magic podcast, episodes are delivered in relaxing, soft tones, getting slower as the episode goes on with relaxing suggestions that encourage sleep. Sleep Magic has over 100 free episodes, so there are plenty of options to choose from, and the show is already trusted by hundreds of thousands of people who use it every night to get better sleep. So go subscribe to Sleep Magic now wherever you listen to podcasts and start listening for free today. Just search Sleep Magic on your favorite podcast app. Let's see. Andrea on, we on the website, he she says, hello, Dr. Jockers. I have a gallbladder, but I have two polyps which are being monitored on a yearly basis. If they change in size, I'll need my gallbladder removed. What can I do to prevent this? I'm working hard to come to the bottom of this and how it's all connected. So, okay, so she doesn't have a she has gallbladder polyps that are taking place. And so she's wondering about what she should do for gallbladder polyps and gallbladder polyp or a polyp anywhere, like a, like a, you know, if you get a colonoscopy and they find a polyp, what that tells me is that there's, there's scar tissue 
that's developing in those areas. Abnormal tissue basically is is what it is. And, you know, kind of like a skin tag on our skin, there's some sort of just abnormal tissue growth that's taking place there. And so you're typically going to have abnormal tissue growth because there's tension, friction, you know, just kind of like how you develop a callus in your, on your skin, for example, right? So if you're, if you're lifting weights and things like that, like I have some calluses on my skin because I'm putting a lot of tension stress on the skin. So kind of the same thing in the gallbladder or the colon or wherever you have certain polyps. And so there's a couple couple things that are related with that. Any abnormal growth, insulin resistance can be a factor with that. So I would definitely want to look at that and see if insulin resistance is one of the key factors. We know with skin tags, for example, it's common, you know, that people with skin tags, people with abnormal kind of skin growths that they have insulin resistance. So I'd want to look at that. I'd want to look at other forms of oxidative stress that could be taking place, whether it's a high toxic load, Maybe that person's being exposed to certain types of pesticides or herbicides or air fresheners or household cleaners or mold mycotoxins that are causing more stress and oxid oxidative stress in the system. Uh, perhaps there's infections, right? A lot, you know, gallbladder can oftentimes be an area where certain types of parasites and certain types of bacteria um, like to congregate, and perhaps the load is high in there, and and you know they're, they're causing problems. Typically. You know, the friction, you know, how I was talking about there's friction. Oftentimes there's gallbladder, there's gallstones that are, that are in there. And, and maybe they're not large enough to where, you know, they're causing a congestion in the bile ducts, but they're causing friction in that gallbladder, which can be related to the polyps. So that would be something that I would want to look at, right? And, and kind of see what's taking place with that. So I treat like a gallbladder polyp, similar to the way that I would just any sort of congestion in the bile ducts, whether it's gallstones or any other type of congestion. I like to use, you know, a lot of hydration is, is really key, really hydrating well, doing things that help thin the bile. So whether that's apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, that can be really helpful. Um, you know, a diet high in good quality organic Fruits and vegetables can be really, really good, particularly certain types of vegetables. We call those bitters. They're, they're herbs or, or vegetables like artichokes, for example, is, is a great one. Radishes are a great one. Dandelion, cilantro, parsley. Those are all, all really, really good ones. And um, supplements with things like milk thistle or bile salts like choline, taurine, uh, tudka can be really powerful for helping to thin the bile and move things through the bile ducts. And then I also like castor oil packs. So basically you take castor oil, you put it on a, fan, a, a, a flannel and put it up over the liver gallbladder area and do this every single day. You only have to keep it on for about 20 minutes on the, the flannel and you tie it around uh, your waist to where it's just kind of right in there, sitting in there. Um, the brand I like is called Queen of Thrones and you can even buy like they have a whole castor oil kit. So it makes it really easy for putting it on the fabric and then tying it around. They've got like a natural tie to it. So it ties around and you're able to just keep it on there. A lot of people sleep with it overnight. That's totally fine. Um, you know, and it can be very comfortable for a lot of people and it helps to move the bowels. So it helps with good uh, bowel motility, which is key for getting the bile flowing to begin with. We need that bowel motility. We need to reduce the overall microbial load, uh, but it also just opens up dilates those bile ducts, allows them to move things through. And I think that over time, 
you know, with a polyp, it's it's something that's built up over time and kind of like a callus on your skin. It's going to take time to heal. But if you can create an environment where the bile ducts themselves are open and dilated, then that is going to reduce tension, stress, friction on that area and give your body the best chance to heal that naturally. And ultimately, you can actually live a long time with a polyp. Like polyp is not, it's not life-threatening. So it's not really an issue unless there's, you know, whatever's the root cause of it, it continues. And so there's continued congestion. And as long as the congestion continues and makes it worse and worse and worse, then it's a problem. It's kind of like an arterial plaque. If you have 30% blockage of your coronary artery, okay, well, you can still live great with 30% blockage, but if it becomes 50, 60, 70, 80%, then it's a problem. So if you're able to reduce the growth, right, or, or make sure that it's not continuing to grow, then again, you can live for a long time like that, um, you know, and, and ultimately that won't be a cause of, of health issues for you down the road, as long as you're able to get to the root cause, which, you know, again, typically is going to be related to poor sluggish bioflow, perhaps gallstones that are taking place there. Anything to add Perfect. to that, Dr. Yvonne? Well, the thing that I was thinking too is, is like you were saying, when it creates friction, it can cause this and what is created. So it's, it's about what is the cause, but at the same time, we support our body to heal, like the, all the things that you mentioned and also sleep. Oh my goodness. Sometimes we forget about sleep because sleep is where the magic happens, where our healing happens, our recovery, our repair. So I would really encourage this person to prioritize sleep and also movement. Movement is so important to yeah. get our, you know, our system going, helping detoxification, helping our brain. So that adds that to it. And of course, you know, the diet part of it. And while she's doing this, she may have to reduce her and be careful with overeating fats. So that mm. to help speed things up as she is recovering. So that would Agreed. be my additional things. Yeah. Great tips right there. Perfect. So let's go on to uh, Leanne's question on Instagram. She asked, my daughter has a rash around her eyes that has been going on for a few weeks. Any idea what would cause this? Yeah, so skin rash is typically related to gut issues. Obviously, there could be a, it's 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 more rare, but there could be an issue where you know she put on some sort of lotion that she had a sensitivity or an allergy to a sunscreen or something that she put on. But typically, it's actually related to gut issues, not what you're, what she's you know not what people are putting on topically. And so, um, you know, a skin rash tells me there's gut inflammation going on. So that could be related to an infection. It could be related to low stomach acid production, maybe H. pylori. That's that's a common one. H. pylori has a lot of common associations with skin issues, whether it's acne, um, rosacea, rashes, things like that. So that's definitely one that I would want to rule out. Maybe she's got um, bad breath, right, throughout the day. That's That's a common sign of H. pylori. Maybe she has uh, belching or burping um, or feels really full early in the meal, um, has no desire to eat meat and like meat makes her tummy start to hurt. These can be, you know, issues that perhaps you'll see certain symptoms that you might see associated with H. pylori infections. Obviously, it could be other infections, but, you know, could be histamine, right? We talked about that earlier. Histamine is a common one. Food sensitivities in general, you know, she's having immune reactivity to who knows, right? Eggs, dairy, soy, things like that. So in general, skin rash, obviously we want to do, we want to eliminate the most common food triggers. So that's going to be your gluten, your dairy, 
soy, processed sugar, any sort of processed food, seed oils. Uh, we want to make sure we're avoiding that. Corn is another common one. Even if it's organic, um, I would take out corn as well. And those are kind of the most common sensitivities. So I would start with that and see what happens. Perhaps put her on a probiotic. Um, you know, if you're going to choose one, one or two supplements, I would probably choose a probiotic, maybe a good multivitamin, something like that, and just see, okay, let's see if we do that. Are we seeing any improvement in that rash? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? And then from there, you can look at, okay, perhaps other food triggers, right? Whether it's eggs or whether it's, you know, some of the other common ones, chocolate, things like that, and nuts, nuts and seeds in general. So maybe try eliminating those, try eliminating eggs, see if she notices any improvement. If not, you know, I would definitely start looking at getting a, a good health coach like Dr. Yvonne to further investigate, perhaps run some labs, you know, and really do a, a detailed history so she can better understand what's taking place. So, you know, there's an area where I think as a parent, just having really good health knowledge, like listening to this podcast, there's a lot of low hanging fruit where your kids will have certain issues that if you just make certain diet changes, maybe introduce one or two supplements, you will see changes and you can save the time and energy and stress of, you know, going deeper on these kind of issues because they're going to clear up on their own. But you want to figure out really ideally within a month, if this is something that's just strictly nutritional, nutritionally related, that if you just give it a nudge with maybe a good probiotic, maybe a good multivitamin, maybe some vitamin D, something along those lines, uh, if these things are going to go away or not. And if not, then really looking and getting a great health coach to further investigate and find out the the root cause and really get get you know your 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 children on a plan to get healthy and get well. That would be the next step and what you'd want to do. Doctor Yvonne, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, rashes typically are the root causes in the gut, and all the things that you mentioned are. Um, Wonderful. The other thing that I would mention is because we're linking it to the gut, we also want to make sure that she is breaking down her food, that she's chewing, that she is able to absorb and eliminate because many times that's where the beginning of the problem starts when we are not digesting our foods well and eliminating. So make sure that she is eliminated properly, you know, two bowel movements a day. And if she's not, that's an indication that she may need more hydration or that she needs more fiber. And I don't mean necessarily go get a fiber supplement, but more like introduce more variety of different fibers from, you know, vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds. And that will help her, you know, not only nourish her and give her the nutrients that she may be needing, but also helping her eliminate and eventually change the microbiome with that richness and fibers and help her with her skin condition. And again, if that doesn't get resolved, then we need to look a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are great suggestions right there. Wonderful. So our last question is, what are your recommendations for blood sugar stability? Yeah, this is a wide question right here as well, but you know, my general <laughs> recommendations, and it is, and it's actually probably most one of the most important questions that that anybody asks us because if we can get our blood sugar stable that's our metabolic function that's what's going to help our body produce good consistent energy and when all of our cells are able to produce energy at a consistent predictable level then that's going to help our brain feel better that's going to help all of our systems heal our skin look better and 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 function better 
Um, it's going to help us heal from injuries. It's going to help our immune system function better. So blood sugar stability is really the foundation of, you know, of good health. And so what, what I always recommend is with, you know, focus when you're looking at your meals, focus on protein. You want to get 30 to 50 grams of protein in a meal. If you're smaller and you have a lower appetite, sometimes 25, 25 to 30 grams will be great. If you are larger and you want any, and you have a larger appetite and maybe you're very active, maybe you're, you're lifting weights, things like that. Maybe 50 grams isn't enough. You might even, even need a little bit more. Okay. But 30 to 50 grams for most individuals is going to be a great sweet spot for protein. Prioritize protein. Then look at your healthy fats. And a lot of times these healthy fats are coming from protein because maybe you're having, uh, you know, grass fed meat or something along those lines. Um, and that's got natural fats in it, but you may have chicken breast, which is very low in fat. And so you might want to add some extra fat. So avocado is a great fat source. Um, extra virgin olive oil is a great fat source, coconut oil, butter, grass fed butter, great fat sources. So you want to make sure we've got healthy fats on board. I typically recommend somewhere between 15 to 30 grams of fat in a meal for some individuals. If they have sluggish bile, like we've talked about, they might need lower fat, right? So 10 grams might be all that they can handle um, or they they don't feel good after their meal. Other individuals, they can handle larger amounts of fat and that actually helps them feel more satiated. So maybe they can handle 30, 40 grams of fat, but at least make sure you're trying to get that 15 to 30 gram sweet spot, kind of start there and, and see how your body feels with that. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you're getting your carbohydrates and your fiber from natural fruits and vegetables, trying to go as organic as possible with your food because you want to minimize the amount of toxicity uh, that's coming in, pesticides, herbicides, pharmaceuticals, things like that, that would put per perhaps end up in your food supply. You want grass-fed, organic animal products, wild-caught seafood. That's what you should be looking for. And um, you know, if you're doing that and trying to get a lot of colors in on your plate, so a lot, lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, that is going to provide a lot of key phytonutrients, uh, a lot of bioflavonoids, and a lot of polyphenols that are really good for your gut, really good for reducing oxidative stress in your system, and just great for energy as a whole. So if you do that, that should help you as far as nutrition perspective. The other big thing is you want to make sure you're not snacking all day, right? So I typically recommend three meals, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? You can add in intermittent fasting, of course, and you can compress that eating window. So maybe you have a 12-hour eating window. You're eating from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Now you compress it to uh, 10 hours or eight hours or six hours, but you're eating at a minimum, you know, typically a minimum of twice a day and then maybe three times a day at, at most, unless you're very active, right? Then you might need a fourth meal if you're, you know, doing two-hour basketball practices or football practices. But other than that, should be able to, if you focus on these macronutrients, get your protein, your fat right, you should be able to get calories you need and provide uh, satiation to where you're not feeling snacky and having cravings by, by eating just three times throughout the day. That's key. Making sure you're exercising, moving your body on a regular basis. We all need to be moving. Um, movement is super critical for oxygenation, deep tissue oxygenation, lymphatic function, really help for insulin sensitivity, um, bringing down our blood sugar. But then also trying to build muscle as well. So I recommend doing at least three days a week of resistance training where you're doing squats, you're doing upper body work, lunges, things like that. Ideally, compound exercises. Now, even if you're older, um, you can do compound exercises. They're, they're multi-group muscle group exercises, like a push press, for example, or a push up or a bench press would be a compound exercise. So if you're an older individual and you're like, well, I don't, I'm, I'm worried 
about going to the gym and you know lifting free weights, you don't have to. Today's day and age, gyms have Nautilus kind of like the, this type of equipment. They have exercise equipment that is very low impact on your joints and allows you to do these sort of compound exercises, compound movements. An isolation exercise would be like a bicep curl. Bicep curl really offers very little benefit. It's really just working one small muscle group. We want to do compound exercises. That's going to be like push presses. It's going to be rows where we're working large muscle groups like our chest, our back, as well as our arms at the same time. That's going to give us the best benefit for building muscle and stabilizing our blood sugar. And super important that we're on a, on a regular basis working on building muscle because that is a great... It's, it's this great storage area for sugar. And the more demand we put on our muscles, the more sugar that we're going to be able to support and carry in those muscles. And then the lower our blood sugar is going to be and the better blood sugar sensitivity we're going to have. So I recommend three to five days of resistance training, moving every day, whether you're walking, running, dancing, you know, whatever kind of movement you really enjoy, bike riding, um, getting some level of movement every day. And then doing resistance training three to five days a week, um, along with the diet that I was talking about. And then making sure, of course, your stress is under control and that you're really prioritizing good sleep because sleep and stress will throw off your blood sugar, even if you're eating a perfect diet and exercising. So if you're not sleeping, at least not well, and you're stressed out all the time, that's going to cause blood sugar imbalances as well. So we got to keep those things under control, get the movement in, um, and obviously make sure that we're, we're eating well. Anything to add there, Dr. Yvonne? Absolutely. You know, it's incredible how much sleeps affect us. And I don't know if some of you have noticed that when you have a bad night of sleep, the next day you feel like snacking or you feel kind of oh, like you're you need to eat more. That's just a reflection of how important sleep is in regulating your blood sugar. And then again, like you mentioned, stress, if you're in constant stress, oh, your blood sugar is going to get dysregulated and it. it Things can happen like you may want to eat more, you may want to eat less. And then what is happening with your hormones getting all so those two things are so, so important. And one thing, like if you want to know if you're doing a good job in regulating your blood sugar is I would say when you eat, do you feel tired? Mm. And then if you feel tired, that means either you ate too much, you ate the wrong food you have the wrong combination, or if this is chronic, then we're talking about, you know, we need to do more work on that. The other thing is that other thing that can happen is like, oh man, if you don't sleep, you get irritable, you, you, you get brain fog, you get dizzy, you even get anxious. If that's happening, you're letting your blood sugar drop. And either way, either spiking or dropping your blood sugar is going to contribute to the this regulation of blood sugar and is going to produce inflammation and it has different. So it is really important that, you know, you know, if you're eating properly, if you're doing all those lifestyle things to regulate your blood sugar, that is so, so important. Um, so let me see. I think we, we covered pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great and questions. One last thing. Yep. So, so technically speaking, when you eat, the only thing that should change is that you're not hungry anymore. That's it. You shouldn't have more energy. You shouldn't be more tired. You simply are not hungry anymore. So again, one way of testing 
look for those symptoms and then try to, to see what is going on so that you can make the necessary changes to better regulate your blood sugar. Yeah, wonderful. And guys, great questions today. This is really, really fun Q&A and uh, very important questions that we're able to address. And again, it's one thing to to biohack your health. I think that's wonderful. And you know, in, in many cases, you're able to. But if you're out there and you're struggling, you've been struggling with a chronic health issue, reach out to Dr. Yvonne. It's just her email is Dr. Yvonne, D-R-I-V-O-N-N-E at drjockers.com. She can help address any sort of issues that you have. By getting to the root cause, doing functional lab testing, a a in-depth health history and questionnaire to really uh, find out what the root cause factors are in your particular health health issues, and then also get you set up on a natural um, health program, right? A program that incorporates healthy lifestyle activities as well as supplement protocols to help you get better. And so reach out to Dr. Yvonne. If you guys have questions that you want answered on this podcast, just email us at info at drjockers.com and let us know you want this question to be addressed on the podcast. You think it's going to really benefit our whole community. Um, we'll do our best to answer that and give you kind of a, a an article or something specific to help you in the in the short term. But then also we'll put it on our master list that we use for this podcast. So Guys, good questions are always welcome. We love people that are interested in health and really want to learn more about how to take care of themselves and their family. So thank you guys so much for that. And thank you for being a part of our community. Dr. Yvonne, any last words of inspiration here for our audience? Well, keep up the good work. Just give us all the questions, send them send them to us and we'll, we'll help you get optimizing your health. All right. Sounds great. And also one thing I didn't add, Dr. Yvonne also is bilingual. So, uh, so speaks fluent Spanish as well. And so, uh, you know, if you're a Spanish speaker out there and you want a great health coach, Dr. Yvonne is the person is the go-to person. So anyways, we will see you all in a future podcast. Everybody be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.